Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., This is a podcast from Minute Media. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Star Guys, a podcast about Stargirl on the CW. I'm a star guy, as it turns out. I'm Alex. Whoa, we got two star guys here because I'm (laughs) one of those. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. That's a third star guy, rare triple star guy in the house. And we're going to be talking about Stargirl Summer School Chapter 4, the fourth episode of Season 2. So if you haven't watched it, uh, go away. Go watch it. Have a good time. Have a little laugh. Learn some things about yourself. Go have a laugh. Have a laugh. Go have a laugh. But to give you a broad overview of the plot, just in case it's a little foggy for you, Tigress and Sportsmaster break out of prison to go see their daughter Artemis try out for sports college. As, as you should do. Yeah. You know, as sports good college. parents, you got to yeah. do that. So she, in order to do that, they grab Mikey. They go over to Pat and Barbara's house, have some hangout time, ultimately see the tryout, which gets messed up by Cindy Berman and the Black Diamond. Uh, classic, classic Eclipso behavior, messing around with a school football game, just like he used to do in the comic books. Oh. <laughs> That's and how you get the people. At the end, Artemis doesn't get into sports college. Uh, she, in fact, gets recruited by Cindy for the young ISA that she's slowly building up. She also recruited the young fiddler, this episode, Isaac, I believe is his name. Isaac, yep. Isaac. And on the other end of the spectrum, we've got the JSA. There's not quite as much focus on them this episode, but Courtney does go after the shade, is trying to find out information about Eclipso as she finds out that they have some sort of tie back in the day. She also finds out that things are not exactly what they seem, that the shade is being honest with her and Pat is maybe lying to her. So... Mm. While we're dealing with light and darkness, we're also oh. dealing with shades of gray. Oh, wow. yes. And, and that's the thing about gray is, you know, I don't know if you know this, it's actually mm. right in between black and white. Okay. 
Okay. If you've ever, if you've ever been a, a painter of any sort, yes. you know that that's how you get grays. You mix. Um, black. I have read Fifty Shades of Grey, so I'm pretty familiar with the different colors. It's just a list uh, of the colors in that book. Uh, oh, really? Could you quickly list as many shades of gray as you possibly can? Because <laughs> I, I, I could probably do fifty, no problem. <laughs> fifty mid. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. if you read the book, you should be able to name some. Oh, it, was, yeah. it was so. It was so long ago, though. It was so long yeah. ago. There's Christian gray. That's one of the colors. I remember that. Christian gray. Well, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah. Anastasia Steele gray. Oh, wow. Steel Gray? Okay. Steel Gray. That's yeah. her name, Steel Gray. Uh, Get no, out of her here. Name, yeah, her name, the actual names of the characters of the book are Christian Gray and Anastasia Steele. It's pretty dumb. That's. People take this book remotely <laughs> seriously? I have no idea. I read it because the movie was coming out, but the movie was coming out recovering sure, sure, it pretty sure. heavily at work, and I was like, well, I'll find out what this uh, is all about. And it is the stupidest thing in the entire Get world. Get that. Like, it's, yeah, it's not sexy. You, you read the whole thing, right? Because you hated the whole thing, so you just kept reading because it was so bad. Yeah, and uh, so I bought a fan. I ended up basically shirtless by the end because I was so hot <laughs> in my apartment because it was the middle of the summer. Right. Yes, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I guess sidewalk gray, um, mm-hmm. sky gray, see. sky Cla- gray, cloud gray, gray. skin gray, <laughs> um, shoe gray, vampire gray. <laughs> wow. Um, you have green gray, mm-hmm. uh, red blue, gray, blue gray, yep. blue gray. Yeah, uh, this is fun. This is yeah, real this fun. Is good. This is Pete's this is a- attitude is gray. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump into the episode though, because I thought this was a fun one. I was so excited to see Tigress and Sportsmaster back. They were a real highlight of the first season. And as they sort of jokingly set up towards the beginning of the episode, when Sportsmaster shows up, basically none of the ISA is alive, just the gambler. And he's like, yeah, I don't care about him. That guy sucks. <laughs> yeah. They down on the gambler. And he was just like, he's awful though. He was the worst. But I do think that shows smarts behind the scene to be like, yes, these were the breakout villains. They're alive. Let's definitely bring them back. They're fun to have in the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they really, they, it was fun to see him interact with Pat and Barb. And there was that one moment where he's like, why, why weren't we uh, friends? He was like, cause you tried to kill me. You know, it was, right. it was fun back and forth. Well, their energy is very fun. Like, mm-hmm. they seem like they could uh, fly off the handle at any moment. But at the same time, they're sort of like, you know, they just want to talk a little bit. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. don't seem to understand what a vase is. There's a <laughs> bunch of shots when they're in the uh, Pat's house, uh, Pat and Amy Smart's house, where they're, like, looking at stuff like, well, imagine this. You put a flower in here mm-hmm. and add water, and then it lives. It yeah. was uh, very funny background work. Yeah. Well, was. That was very good. A lot of the shots, this episode was again directed by Leah Thompson. I guess they're probably block shooting stuff because of COVID. Uh, but she added a lot of very fun bits, I think, whether maybe they were in the script. I don't know. But things like the reveal of Sportsmaster behind a picture of his own, of himself in the newspaper as yeah. Mikey's reading it. That's a very fun shot. The vase thing you're talking about. There were a lot of fun asides as well. My favorite line of the episode is when Pat takes Tigress and Sportsmaster to the tryouts, and there's like this very light in the background, Tigress saying, your wife is lovely, by the way. And he's like, I know that. (laughs) (laughs) The way Luke Wilson delivered that line was great. It made me laugh a lot. That whole scene was funny, too, because they arrive there, and everyone's like, hey, Pat, 
Pat, my man Pat's here, like walking through town. They don't take a second to look at the Not, wanted yeah. criminals. Exactly. Yeah. They're that cheering. They all know because of, uh, you know, all the He's a local trainer. Yeah, Plus exactly. He was a, I love the callback <laughs> to him, town. Tra- him training Pat, being like, hey, you've sort of given up on the working out, huh? <laughs> uh, it was a fun moment. Well, let me Who ask was? you seriously about this, because this is something that I – wrestled with is probably too strong of a word, but while I was watching the episode, exactly what you're talking about, Justin, that, like, they break out of prison, they go to Pat and Barb's house, everybody seems very chill about everything the entire time, that they go to this these tryouts and they're sitting right in the stands, they even get a chance they're to... yelling, drawing attention to themselves. Yes, cheering. they say goodbye to their daughter at the end, nobody cares, even well, though there was yeah. an altercation there. Does that negatively impact the episode at all for you? Oh, because of the unbelievability that they wouldn't be Yes, or does arrested. it not matter with Stargirl? I mean, the way this show plays, I think if I were to, if someone, if I worked on this show and a reporter or something, a reporter like uh, Alexander Zalvin oh, uh, was like, why, why did you, did you make that choice to have it go this way? I would say the way that Blue Valley works, we lean on a lot of the Midwestern qualities um, that you might have in the real world heightened to the point where the people in this town are very friendly and they let people sort of go about their own business. So the people aren't going to call and have this couple arrested until something bad happens. And when mm-hmm. nothing does, it feels like they made the right choice. Pete, so you that's feel the same way? Rationalization. Well, I mean, there has been a history of like, you know, turning your head the other way. I mean, they ran through the middle of town in the last episode, like things blew up, crazy lights, nobody looks. Yeah, I, I she flies in and out of her window all the time on a magical staff. No nobody bats a lot. <laughs> we I, saw I, her fly by in the night sky in this episode and I was like, yeah. well, that's very clearly uh, someone flying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For yeah. anyone on the ground to look up and see. Yeah, you got to kind of have a little bit of it uh, and uh, disbelief. And I, I feel like it's, yeah, it's fine. It's It goes with the territory. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I mean, there's a goofy, childlike quality to a lot of the stuff that happens in Stargirl. It's not deathly serious like a lot of the other Arrowverse shows. So to that end, when things like this happen... When I was watching the episode, this was, like I said, it's something that I was thinking about while I was watching it. Does this strain the believability of the show? And ultimately, if it's fun, it doesn't matter. You know, it's it's the same thing as the Thunderbolt last episode where people are going to see a pink genie running around town. What did anybody think about all those stop signs dropping down anywhere? Hey, isn't that Jim Gaffigan? Yeah, he's doing the do the hot pockets bit. Turn into that that cat. What? Uh. There's a cat on uh, Twitter that looks just like Jim Gaffigan that's going around. It's uh, <laughs> a very specific reference you're making. Well, it's very hot right now. I'm surprised you're not. You're on Twitter, so I don't it's know. Very, how you well, you're it. talking about on cat Twitter because for those right. of you listening, Pete is a, a famed cat daddy, and mm. so he's on on cat daddy Twitter. Yes, oh Jim Gaffigan God. is a cat. Yeah. Hot trend. It's hot right now. That shit is everywhere. I don't know how you missed that. By the way, check out Pete at Cat Daddy on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. The account. What do yeah. you have? Like two followers, something like that. So if you could follow him, that would be great. It's, it's a the good pic- account. It's really great. We're a lot of smart content. And the picture is you in a full on cat suit, sort of like a sexually suggestive cat suit. <laughs> nah, nope. Like some sort of human- sexual cat. 
you've spent some time as a human sexual cat, am I right? <laughs> like a, a, a human not, who addresses a cat for sexual reasons. Don't do that to me again on another podcast, please. I can't take it. A human sexual cat. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I just want you to be upfront about this, the, the things you're into in your life. Don't do this to me again, man, please. Just anyway, just check no. out Cat Daddy on Twitter. You'll see the photos. Oh, man. Oh, man. Cat Daddy, I can go there to try to register it for Pete, and it's going to be some sort of Nazi account or something. Exactly like that. right. That's true. We're, we're pushing people into the unknown. Um, yeah. Just Google Pete LePage human sexual cat. <laughs> There's nothing, nothing weird to come up. That'll cover it. Yeah. Oh, man. So... Uh, this storyline, ultimately, like, I think what it does really well beyond Tigress and Sportsmaster being a lot of fun is it also drills down on Artemis as a character, somebody we haven't spent a lot of time with. And you get, I felt, a lot of sympathy for her over the course of the episode. Yeah, especially, I mean, she's sort of, done, it's a tough episode on her. Like, she's struggling with her parents being away. This prison guard who, like, is busting her balls in the opening scene, I was like, yeah. this guy's going to get murdered, and I can't believe he didn't. Yeah. I was surprised they didn't loop back to that. That felt yeah. like a very clear, uh, maybe it'll come later on in the season. This show certainly takes its time with it teasing things out as it goes. But, yeah, that seemed like a very clear beginning of the episode. He's a jerk. She gets superpowers, comes back, kicks his butt. But that gets into the other thing that was kind of weird and surprising about Artemis in this episode that I do think strained my credulity a little bit just because this is a superhero world. She clearly already has super strength and yeah. nobody comments on it at any point, which is it weird. Is, it is weird that she gets away with that as on the football f- field, uh, yeah. throwing an absolute rocket. <laughs> the middle of the episode. Well, I had uh, a bigger problem with the apple moment. The fact that she crushes an apple in her bare hand, one hand, mind you. And, we could do that. We, anybody. Yeah. That's a... Hashtag apple challenge. A, Everybody go and do yeah. that one. <laughs> oh, good. Smart. Yeah. Check out the one on Cat Daddy. It's a cat doing it. It's super uh, it's good. amazing. Yeah. And a little sexual as well. So <laughs> Courtney, though, and Yolanda seeing it, Particularly Courtney, who has been so suspicious of everybody across the board. Her first reaction to nearly anybody is like, you're a good guy, you're a bad guy. Like, she sorts them into yeah. those two places. The fact that Artemis crushes an apple right in front of her, and she's like, whew, she crushed an apple. Well, moving on with the rest of her day is yeah. a weird reaction from Courtney, I think. Yeah, um, unless Courtney well, already knew that about her. Yeah, and I think she knew like, it was a rotten apple, and it was like it was very easy mm-hmm. smushable. So she was like, "Yeah, yeah, I, I almost did that accidentally." So yeah, see, we've all crushed. She didn't say anything because she was like, "Phew!" I'm glad she didn't take a bite out of it because then I would have looked back because it was so. Oh, rotten. so she purposely handed her yep. a rotten apple, and then was relieved when she crushed it rather than ate it. Yep. Wow. There's always a bad apple in the bunch. Hmm. I've never heard that before. That's really good. Well, I thought it's it was an old very... apple picking trick. Yeah, it's an apple picking trick. But uh, I really thought that uh, it was nice of her to be like, "Hey, if you need some energy, I have an uh, an extra apple right here." Right, because that was a lot of um, underpinning. This episode was a lot of like diet discussion. Yeah, really, <laughs> uh, it was a lot very... of like. This is like a documentary for the Tom Brady diet. Essentially, mm-hmm. this episode mm-hmm. a lot of talk of whey. Mm-hmm. Protein powder. A lot of protein, yeah. Well, not I'm eating junk really food. going in on this episode, just like ripping it to shreds. No, you uh, are truly I the am. eclipso I'm, like, I'm picking of this it episode. apart. Uh, 
there's been an interesting theme, I think, in this show about adoption and foster homes, mm. which is kind of yeah. interesting and weird. Um, what what do you take away from that? I mean, there's certainly a lot of discussion about how you should be portraying adoption and foster homes. And I understand you have sort of like that mythic fairy tale quality. So you have mean lady who runs the foster home. But I worry that it becomes a pattern at a certain point. Yeah, that scene was sort of um, sort of a tough one. It felt very like. Uh, written as a caricature um, for both, for especially the mom, the the foster mom, and I get like you want to have this foster mom be not good because uh, Artemis is in a bad situation and she misses her parents and that enhances that part of the story. But this woman was just an absolute cartoon of uh, a bad foster yeah. parent, like on yeah. the phone, doesn't listen to the kid, doesn't care, just is doing it for the money. Like she says like multiple times, I, I need more kids so I can make more money or something like that, which is just like, yeah, that's a, a sort of a, that's a low blow, I think. Yeah. And there was, have, there was one last thing. There would have been plenty of ways to make her not nice to Artemis mm-hmm. that weren't wildly stereotypical and yes. easy. Absolutely. The other thing, maybe the reason it stuck out to me in particular is because Supergirl airing the same night also has a mean foster care lady. So mm-hmm. it was this weird double block of eight o'clock. We got a mean foster care lady, nine o'clock mean foster care lady on these two superhero shows. And to the point that you're saying, I think there's other ways that you can do that. And particularly yeah. because there are so many issues that people have with the portrayal of the foster care system. There are so many people that have had really positive experiences in real life. Making it harder through media like that is tough. So uh, I think what you forgot, though, is at 10 o'clock, it was the nanny, you know, so it was like, oh, so su- positive. It, it was, yes. yeah, yeah really it just leading And up in to the it. nanny, remind me of the plot. Fran Drescher kills the two parents and takes the kids and raises them nicely. Raises right? them that's well. Like, with like raises reverse, them well. Wow. Yeah, it's so like a reverse a, Batman situation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just trying to parse whether that makes sense or not. But let's move on. It doesn't really, but I'll I'll give it to myself. Okay. Um, oh, nice. It's nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, and again, to to following on the Artemis track, like the way that she um, is taken advantage of by Eclipso, uh, tricked, ruins her chance to get out and sort of have that better life that her and her parents are pushing for. And then she's eventually tempted back by Cindy, uh, sort of juiced by Eclipso. Just yeah. not a good story. And I will say, on the, we were talking about believability. The one way this series goes hard is with the cruelty of the villains. Mm-hmm. And like they'll sort of be like, oh, no one will notice the parents. But the cruelty of the villains, both and violence, both all through season one and, and season two so far, is so different than other shows. Yeah. Well, Sydney is great. She is a great villain. She's really good. There's, you know, she's clearly being used by Eclipso, but I think versus the other stuff that is very big and bold, they relatively underplay the fact, or at least maybe Meg DeLacy, who plays uh, Sydney, is underplaying the fact a little bit of she's lonely, you know, and she just wants friends. Like, that is her main thing that she is looking for. Um So, yeah, it's a good motivation. She's clearly, like, cackling it up and eating up the scenery while she's doing it. But the fact that she is just trying to be like, hey, Isaac, come here. Hey, Artemis, come here. Be my friends. Hang out with me. And the only way I know of being friends with people is by ruining their lives so that they will be with me. And then we are all supervillains. Yeah. 
is, is interesting. Like it's, it's interesting yeah. and fun to watch. Speaking of supervillains, let's move on and talk about the shade and what's going on with him. Yeah, in I mean, this you want to talk about a classic move? Like, where would I run into a supervillain named the Shade? Oh, maybe the creepiest bookstore you've ever seen in your life. Well, the bookstore was the House of Secrets, which is a yeah. place directly out of the DC universe. Do you think, Justin, I'll ask you, you, I think, are probably a little more of an expert on this side of the DC universe. Do you think this is the actual House of Secrets, or was that just a fun Easter egg? Do you think it was shot in the actual House of Secrets? The real one, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. the one that that exists sort of in the liminal space between worlds. Mm -hmm. Um, Hard to shoot there, hard to permit there. I've tried to shoot uh, a bunch of stuff there in my... Uh, the rest mayor's of office is real tricky about shooting there. Real tricky about shooting because it's hard to transport people cross dimension. Yeah, um, especially gotta, equipment. Oh, equipment exactly messes up the batteries. Yeah, uh, yeah. But um, I feel like it was more of a reference. I will say the bookstore, um, the bookstore clerk was sort of felt like he might almost be um, the Sandman universe character. Uh, uh, what is it, Kane, who's in the House mm-hmm. of Secrets? There was definitely um, that shot at the beginning there. I could, I probably could have looked for it, but that shot of him looking through the magnifying glass, yeah, that yeah. feels like a shot directly out of Sandman or something. I honestly don't remember I agree much. with you. You should have looked for that, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, the other Easter egg, just while we're jumping around, and I do want to come back to what happened with the Shade and Courtney, uh, but they give a rundown of where Eclipso and the Black Diamond come from when they very smartly just do research at the library, which I thought was great. I really like that move. I love it when the heroes are like, calm down. We got this. We're not going to run into it anymore. We learned from our mistakes over the past couple of episodes, and we're going to take a chill. But they find out that Eclipso came from Diablo Island, that in Bruce Mm. Gordon discovered Diablo Island, and in the comics was the original holder of the Black Diamond and the original person possessed by Eclipso. So I think we're going to be looping back to that at some point. The other thing that I'll mention, I don't know if this is a spoiler, uh, but it certainly seemed like it based on this episode. But when I interviewed Meg DeLacy for work, she mentioned that Cindy, Cindy has been spending the time between seasons on Diablo Island finding out about Eclipso and finding out, she also mentioned, about the ISA. So it feels like there's some sort of secret history thing going on there. And certainly there's that very palpable moment where they say, yeah, the island disappeared. We don't know what happened to it. So uh, that seems like something they'll loop back to later. Had to go hump another island, so it probably disappeared for a little while. Yeah. Uh, human sexual island. The um, <clears throat> yeah, I that whole thing. Like you know how hard it must be to get an island off a map. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to go through, scribble it out, oh, erase man. it, draw That's a little like. Be. It was easier back in, in the day place. because there were just a couple of maps, so you yeah. just have to erase a couple of them. But now you'd have to go around oh, the man. country and erase every book. Be awesome to be the map guy back then. Mm-hmm. Like everyone be dropping by fun just fun like people would look hey the map guy let's buy the map guy a drink he tells us where we're going yeah he'd be like hey how long until the bus gets here map guy can you tell me and he'd be like um, i don't know five minutes the bus guy i'll tell you where the bus stop is yeah there's always two guys in the villages map guy and bus guy (laughs) um i looked it up and it's actually abel was the of Mm cain and abel was the house of secrets um cain was in the house of mystery oh 
That would be a big move to bring in that stuff, particularly given there's a Sandman series going to be on Netflix. So I feel like it was not explicitly him, but it was just a fun Easter egg. Yes. My um, take. I agree with you. But back Uh, to the shade um, and Courtney. Back to the shade. Yeah. What what did you think about the scene? What did you think about the development of the shade as a character here in this episode? Well, he seemed less evil. He seemed more just like giving Courtney super important information that she needed. And then was kind of like, Courtney, why don't you relax? I'll do your job for you. You know what I mean? Like, I'll take care of this. And part of me thinks she, uh, you know, just listen to the shade and back off a little bit. Do you think he's telling the truth, though, Pete? He seemed really into it. You know, it seemed like that was, like, really important to him and he was going to take care of it. Um, my, well, there are a couple things to be Pat early on in the episodes, uh, says that shade is the devil in the shadows or is that Eclipso? He was described. Eclipso is the devil Eclipso in the shadows. Eclipso is the devil in the shadows. So the, I think the shade the, he refers to as the shadow and the devils. Uh, nice. Good. Not confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, um, but I do think, I think the shade is probably not telling the whole truth. Here's a prediction I have. Um, I think that Eclipso tempted shade and Shade killed Dr. Midnight's daughter. Whoa. Oh, wait, no, we saw that death. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was Eclipso. Yes. Uh, so that's not a good theory. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's definitely I, something, I, 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 there's something back in the day. Like, the Shade has been around for a very long time, and I agree yeah. with you that I think he's hiding some information there. He doesn't want to just take the Black Diamond and throw it away forever whether it's unlocking some part of his powers or we get that big tease at the end of the episode that Beth hasn't been talking to AI Charles McKnighter, but in fact, Charles McKnighter seemingly is still alive in some sort of shadow dimension. So maybe he's trying to get back there, you know? I think so. I think that, uh, yeah, McKnighter's going to be the one that can save Best Parents' marriage because, like, she's having a hard time. And putt putts are magical places, but I don't know, man. You know what I mean? You what don't if think he, a good game? The is only way he's dimension. able to escape the shadow dimension is by marrying her mom. Whoa! Oh wow! That well, old so, trope. Wait, so they'll push for the? She'll push through the divorce so she can be have Charles McKnighter as her <laughs> yeah, stepfather, uh, as her wow. dad. Uh, that's another theory. I mean, honestly, the theory I just said that was completely wrong. That one's <laughs> almost as bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love that last little bit. Very cool last shot of the episode. Um, really, really nice. But I do think so back on the shade, I think there is something there's a confrontation coming between Pat and Courtney uh, about the shade. Like Pat seems to be over saying like, again, the black and white way that he looks at the world. And I think Courtney, who also has that worldview, is going to need to change her worldview over the course of this season to realize that some people have some bad people have good in them and some good people have bad in them. And I think that was kind of like the whole thing with uh, Mr. Tyler there where, you know, the teacher realized like, hey, you got another perfect score and then was like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry for judging you. And yeah. he was like, it's cool. Everybody does, which was heartbreaking. It's such a small kind of moment, but very powerful. So that teacher, who seemed mm-hmm. relatively nice in this episode, we were suspicious of her in the last episode because she was super weird and super mean and all the other teachers are very bad. As mentioned, nicer to Rick in this episode and apologizes even, but also yeah. has one million clocks on her desk, I think. Uh, what's going on with her? Is she 
the stuff that I wrote down that I don't think fits at all, but she could be, there's a DC Comics villain called Clock King, mm-hmm. which obviously she's not a king. She could be Clock Queen, perhaps. Or it's a gender neutral name either way. Yeah, and that's yeah. fine. Uh, or maybe in some way she ties into, and this is my big theory going forward, Per Degatod, who's a time traveler. I don't know if Per Degatod is hiding out as a nasty history teacher or something. Is she a history teacher? Is that what's going on? Uh, yeah, I don't remember what it was for, for Rick, but, um, okay. that if, if it's a true villain hiding out and like busting Rick's balls about getting a perfect score, feels like that villain's given up on the plan. It yeah, seems the like the overarching <laughs> plan was, it's like, I'm just going to commit to teaching these kids. Right. And maybe I, I misinterpreted, <laughs> but it seems like from the, the, just the shot of all the clocks, it seems like each kid she's killed, she, she's kept a clock. And so that's what I got mm. from that. Oh, job. is that what it seems like? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That is what it seems like. I yeah. think she killed Charles McKnighter's daughter. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I do think there's something more going on with her. Maybe she's not a big villain. Maybe it's more of a Shining Knight type thing last season where the janitor turned mm. out to be a hero. Um, but that uh, they've been spending she too much time. She's like to be on time. time. Yeah. She's like to be on time. I don't know. They don't. You don't put something like that in that is super weird and then not follow up on it in some way. You know. Mm. No. You, I guess we'll see. Okay. What about we'll the see. fact that Yolanda seems to have a job at um, Pops from Riverdale? Right. She's, she's terrible she's, at it. Yeah, yeah. And it was comically terrible, which you know, uh, I guess is better. But man, it was a little like it was a weird moment where they're like, everybody's in agreement. She is a terrible waitress. Do you feel like, I mean, I picked up on this. This was not a hard plot line to follow. But do you feel like there needed to be one scene setting this up rather than just cutting to her being a waitress at the restaurant? Like some Uh, mention of, oh, hey, I was thinking of getting an after school job or, oh, I got a job at the diner to make a little more money or something like that versus her just being there. It feels like something got cut out somewhere along the line. Yeah, I could see a scene where she tells Courtney, like, hey, I got a job. And Courtney's like, but our crime fighting, mm-hmm. what yep. do you? And she's like, you don't pay. JSA don't pay. That's Ooh. true. Wow. We should hold up sides. We should protest outside <laughs> of Pat's shop. Yeah. Unionize the JSA. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm, I'm surprised that Jade hasn't been background while we're talking about the JSA. She's definitely going to show up again later in the season. I don't remember which episode, but... Yeah, I th- my guess is she is off on a journey learning how to use her powers now that she has these new powers, yeah. and she's going to come back after that. Uh, like, we're not going to see her training montage. We're going to see her be like, yep, I'm all powered up and I'm ready to go. She's going to come and save the day at a very particular moment. Probably. Any other notes about this episode that you guys wanted to call out in particular? Uh, one note, um, Diablo Island, all that uh, stuff, um, Bruce Gordon um, that's the scientist in the comics who Eclipso possesses. I think I said that already. Did you say that? <laughs> I think so. Was yeah. that when I was looking up something else? Yes. Could have been. <laughs> uh, that's another do we talk I, about I the say, Fiddler I think, moment? Uh, maybe Charles McKnighter's daughter killed him. <laughs> oh, boy. Killed that's him. My, killed him. That's my theory. Uh, uh, yeah, I just wanted to talk about the Fiddler <laughs> moment where it's like, you're going to learn how to play the violin. I think that's how every kid learns, and it's it's kind of sad. It's know, called that, the Suzuki method. Mm. That's, that's uh, a joke for Suzuki? my brother, maybe. Suzuki? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
What are you? Sudoku? Oh, I think you were Sudoku? saying Sudoku. I'll tell you what. We are out of today. Yeah. We're yeah. like, uh, yeah. pristine. This is why people turn into this podcast is for all the correct takes. Well, let's facts. let's do something that we can definitely. Well, we're we're so good. We say the facts twice. Uh, let's talk about something I know we're experts on, Mikey. Yeah, uh, we got a real Mikey watch for this Ooh, episode. Yeah, hey, how did you how did you feel about the the shot of Mikey um, in full on in the ISA that Eclipso uh, presents to Cindy? Yeah, that was uh, that was heartbreaking. But what was real nice was when Mikey called and left the voicemail. Pack got in the car and we got like a burning rubber shot, which was really, it was nice to see. That was cool. Yeah, Pat really gave up on the element of surprise when he was entering the, <laughs> the shop to see who was, uh, who, was cap- who had captured Mikey. Yeah. Uh, Mikey also giving off big, young Dave Coulier energy here in this episode. Mm, cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on then and talk about the star of the episode. Who is the star of the episode, Pete? I mean, this is pretty obvious, guys. Um, you know, you got to go with Mikey on this. What? You know, it's a setup of just because we just could be just yeah, that was the last thing that happened. So you remember it best. The villain moving forward, the big villain, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm a little worried about it. I'm a little worried about Mikey and Pat's relationship. But, uh, yeah, I would say Mikey or Barb. It's really close. Either way, you know. Nice. Do you think that Mikey will end up riding with the ISA for some amount of time? Or is that I'm a worried about it. I, I'm worried uh, about I it. I still don't know what he would do, like what his powers are. Do, is he going to drive the truck? Is He's that a great power? driver. I am terror. I am the knight. I am the bad driver. <laughs> Not terrifying. What's your star of the episode, Justin? My star of the episode, I got to give it up for Shade. I really like the way that this is coming together, um, finding that middle ground where he's a villain who maybe has to um, make up for his, uh, his evil ways, his regrets. And I like the idea that he becomes sort of the mentor on the other side, the other side of Pat. Um, he is the shadow that Pat casts Whoa. so that uh, Courtney can have two mentors going forward. I'm going to give it up for Sportsmaster. I think it's very close between Sportsmaster and Tigress because they're both fun. I really like the uh, the conversation that Tigress and Barbara had in the kitchen. That was very enjoyable. But Sportsmaster kind of just has the ads. The actor is very funny, and he is eating it up in every scene. I enjoy watching him. What, Pete, what's your question? I just wanted to say I'm I'm glad that this episode is the last time we will see Beth, like, l- so lonely, put on those goggles and be like, Chuck, Chuck. So I'm so glad we're moving past that because that was fucking killing me. She's watching her parents' marriage fall apart and the one person she needs is not there in those goggles and it's it's too much. So I, I'm glad we're graduating from that and we're, we're going to get to the bottom of the, the Chuck The moment thing. in the next episode when he gets on the goggles and talks to Beth, he's like, don't worry, I'm coming to marry your mom. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. You're right. I I bet you that we will see that scene multiple times going forward. Her being like, hello? Because those glasses, it's not like he's there all the time. He he cut out in the middle of the the end shot. Absolutely. I can't tell you. It's too heartbreaking. 
If you'd like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Stargirl. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at StarGuysPod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, StarGuys out. Star Guys out! We'll finally bring the killer of Charles McKnighter's daughter to justice! <laughs>